When you sign up for BP Me Rewards, you can get five cents off every gallon of gas every time at BP or Amico stations. That means more savings and more whatever you'd like to use your savings on. So treat yourself. It's on us. Visit bp.com slash save to learn more. Something you probably do know. Progressive can not only offer you a great price when you bundle home and auto, they offer you round-the-clock protection. Something you probably don't know. The average oak tree branch can hold 70 pounds. Something you probably do know. Your neighbor is building their kid a treehouse. Something you probably don't know. A falling treehouse would take out your whole fence. Bundle your home and auto with Progressive and get more than a great price. Get round-the-clock protection. Something you know for the things you don't know. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Hello there, welcome to another episode of This Week in History with me, your host, Dan the Viking. For those of you who are on our Facebook group, I'm guessing you had a, a little guess, but there wasn't many guesses this this time. Uh, not many of you actually guessed. I think that might be because it was quite a difficult one to, to get. Um, like I did say, for anybody who's Canadian, and we did have one, um, guessed it correct. This is uh, is quite a a common story in Canada and going back maybe 30 or 40 years ago this was quite a common story in England as well but you know it sort of disappeared almost even uh, my father who is obviously we, we've spoken to my dad before on on the show but um, my dad even he was like oh, I recognize the painting but I don't recognize what it is so for those of you who didn't guess, uh, I will tell you right now. It is the Battle of Quebec on the 13th of September, 1759. So, this is a story about the English, and it is to do with the Seven Years' War, and it is to do with the English overcoming a very, very long odds. Um, they they were outnumbered, outgunned, and they were in enemy territory. So this was a battle that really they didn't they didn't stand much chance in winning. And this is the story of the Battle of Quebec City. So here we go. So we'll we'll flash back, you know, back in history before America actually became America. You had English America. And you had French America, or what was known as New France, and England was obviously the the English colonies. Now, England had 13 colonies along the East Coast, and they'd ventured into the north of Canada. Now, at this point in history, majority of America was French. So, when you actually look at a map, if you ever get a map of uh, the breakdown in New France and uh, the English colonies majority of it was French. Now, you can still see similarities in the French culture. Obviously, a lot of Canada actually speaks French, and there is a reason for that. Um, I believe, if my knowledge is correct, the city of New Orleans is very, very French, um, and a lot of the people there actually speak fluent French. 
So you can see there are influences of France in America, but not as many as there may have been had this particular battle and this particular war, the Seven Years' War, gone different. So there was always there's always been this rivalry between England and France, and in the late 1700s, this newfound world was causing a few issues, let's say, and there was inevitably there was going to be a conflict between England and France, but it just needed that spark to set it off, and that spark came by an English officer who ambushed a group of 30 men, 30 French men, just outside of Pittsburgh. Now, they killed 10 and they captured the other 20. And this was the spark that set off the Seven Years' War. And this was... The French couldn't allow this to happen. And the officer in charge of the English army that sparked this war was a young man, 22 years old, named George Washington. So yes, for all of you Americans out there, George Washington actually fought in the British Army before he decided to be, as uh, my Facebook status put it one day, an ungrateful colonial and uh, and uh, decided that he didn't actually particularly like the British. Now, he was an Amer- he was born American, um, but like I said, he, he was born part of the, the English colonies. So... This was the spark that set off the Seven Years' War, and this is what really caused the big battles that that followed, and obviously, in particular, this one, we're paying attention to the Battle of Quebec. So many battles took place in the Seven Years' War, and to be fair, as as much as it hurts to say it, the English were were taking a bit of a pounding um, at the start of these wars. They They weren't doing very well. But they did manage to take hold of a quite a strategic point um, in Louisbourg, which is in Nova Scotia, and they took hold of a fort. Now, this fort actually gave the English basically control over what comes in and what goes out of the St. Lawrence River. Now, for those of you that don't know, um, the St. Lawrence River is the river that runs basically straight down into Quebec. So this is where the heart of New France was. Quebec was the the capital city of New France, and that's why, strategically, to have Louisbourg, the fort at Louisbourg, was quite important for the British. So they, it, they was that was basically the biggest the biggest thing. So once they had control of this fort, the British turned their eyes to Quebec. This was where they wanted. This was where they wanted to attack. This was where they wanted to cause the most amount of damage. The problem is, although they controlled the mouth of the Louisbourg River, they didn't control the river. They didn't control the approach to Quebec. And if for anybody who's seen Quebec, uh, it strategically is is a fortress in these times. Obviously, nowadays with with planes and things like that. But beforehand, you had a vast amount of forests and waterfalls to contain with flowing rivers coming into the St. Lawrence River or you you know you took your boat straight up the river to the walls of the city now Quebec is actually on higher ground than the rest of of the river so you either concede it from the river try and land troops on the small shore or climb up the banks which is virtually impossible up the side of the 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 city so 
realistically, it was it didn't seem possible, but the British wanted to try, and that's what they went for. That was their plan. And they hired, or employed, or appointed, however, I suppose appointed is probably the right word, um, a man named General James Wolfe. Now, James Wolfe is the man that you see in the picture on my Facebook of the man dying on the floor with the the flag wrapped around his shoulder. Um, I will do a bit on that painting afterwards because it's factually, it's completely incorrect. But um, he did actually die at the Battle of Quebec and he was sort of hailed as a bit of a hero um, because of that. If you ever get a chance to look at pictures of him, he was not uh, an attractive man. He, he almost didn't have a chin. Uh, sort of face went straight in. Um, certainly not the type of general you would assume would take control of such a big, um, you know, a big plan. And it did surprise a lot of other British generals who probably felt that they they probably stood a, a better chance or, or were more qualified for the job the plan was essentially to to basically to sail up the St. Lawrence River the problem you have is you were moving pretty much a city on the river they they carried with them um just a couple of things you know you know they had to carry the food they had to carry they carried uh, 1.2 million uh, musket cartridges uh, they carried 11,000 barrels of gunpowder. Um, you know, 600 plus cattle were taken from the, the mainland on this expedition. You know, they they had to take thousands and thousands of, you know, bits and pieces, millions of bits and pieces to make this expedition worthwhile. Um, you know, they, they took 160... Um, pieces of siege equipment so cannons and cannonballs and things like that so they really had to pick up this entire city put it onto boats sail it up a river and then hope that they don't get sunk on the way and the St. Lawrence River is it's it's a notoriously hard river to navigate um, obviously nowadays with sonar and radar and things like that it's a lot easier but back then they didn't have any Equipment to tell them how deep the water was, where the the sandbanks were, and things like that. It was a very very difficult river to navigate, and they really didn't think that they were going to get all the ships there. Um, at least they they thought they were going to lose a few. Now they actually managed to get to the walls of Quebec without losing a single ship, and when they did that, the it said that the British sailors and soldiers they all cheered and you know reveled in their their victory of getting there and the one man that didn't cheer was general james wolf and the reason he didn't cheer was he looked up that large bank and looked at the city of quebec and probably went how the fucking hell are we gonna do this um i really can't straight the only way i can describe it is, is you need to go on google and have a look if you don't know what quebec looks like it's in this time period, it would almost they they must have almost felt it was impossible to actually get up the river, uh, sorry up up the walls of Quebec and into the city. So Wolf, obviously realizing how hard this task was, um, 
decided that maybe landing on Quebec and trying to climb the cliffs was probably not the best idea. And he decided to... His, his plan was to attack the Beaufort Shores, which is a shallower part um, and a lot easier to land and obviously a lot easier to get your men off the ships and get your siege equipment and then travel up the the mainland to Quebec from the different side. The problem is the French were well aware of this weakness. I wouldn't even say a weakness, really. It was just a, a small chink in their armour. But they were well aware of it, and they stationed over 10,000 men there. So, really, James Wolfe is now thinking, well, I can't go up the city of Quebec. I can't land where I wanted to land. What do I do now? So he actually had to land his ships a little bit further east than where he wanted to land them, a little bit further away from Quebec. And he actually landed them opposite the Montmorency waterfalls in Canada. Um, and they ended up putting their troops on this flat piece of land there. Now, obviously, you're now dealing with the English army being quite a fair distance from Quebec, really. They're not, they're not easily accessible to get there. The French know they're there, and more importantly, the one group of people that probably hate the English more than the French at this point are the Native Americans. They really do not like the English, and they know these woods, and they know the area better than anybody else. So when the English set up their army and their tents and their camp and everything like that, you find that there's almost like a guerrilla warfare going on with the Native Americans. Uh, they would find that English soldiers would go out on patrol and then they, would, they wouldn't they would be there the next day. They'd, they'd have been murdered um, or, you know, they'd, they'd have been brutally attacked and killed. So they would... There was that ongoing fear of the British not only did they have the French to deal with they now had this invisible enemy really because they couldn't go out and fight the natives because they didn't know where they were they didn't know the land and realistically that's not what they were there for so they were in quite a sticky situation where they had to and they had to move quickly they had to get off this this side because if they stayed there too long um, the Native Americans would have just picked them off one by one. The other thing that you know you might be aware of with the English um, in this sort of day and age, I'm sure most of you will have seen in history books what the British army looked like in the 1700s, 18th century. And, you know, they really weren't hard to spot. They stuck out like a sore thumb. They were bright red uniforms. There is no way that they were camouflaged at all. Um, they couldn't, you know, for the Native Americans, they couldn't have had it any easier, really. They they didn't want these guys on their land, but even if they went for a piss in the woods, they probably didn't come back alive because they, they're just so easy to spot, you know. You can, in even in darkness... The red tunic was so obvious. So, you know, the the English were well aware of this. The English made a few a few manoeuvres, a, f a few 
plots to to get further down and what they actually managed to do not not the entire army but a, a good handful of the army in the royal artillery managed to get to the other side of quebec on the narrows now it's less than a mile wide from the the point where the british army was over the river and into quebec city and they managed to set up the artillery and the cannons and they fired on the city now unfortunately for the english when they started firing on quebec they they were using obviously new artillery equipment the artillery equipment had been shipped a long way and it wasn't to the best of the standards to start with so it was actually as they were firing the the cannonballs because the barrel was so cold and so you know not been used for so long the the cannonballs wouldn't make the full trip to the city and they were just falling into the St. Lawrence River now I can't imagine anybody's ever gone through the St. Lawrence River um, just to have a look um, but I'd quite enjoy that actually to see how many British cannonballs are still in the river but apparently um, one British soldier mentioned that obviously they could hear the French laughing from the other side of the river so the French were obviously quite happy that the British cannonballs weren't making the distance the problem for the French was once these cannons had warmed up and were at optimum temperature and at maximum elevation those cannonballs did hit the city and they did hit home and they did start to do quite a bit of damage to the French defenders in Quebec the British bombarded the city for weeks this wasn't just an overnight thing they literally bombarded the city with cannonballs with incendiary bombs which were flaming um, almost like comet like um, weapons that flew through the sky and exploded on impact I mean they really really destroyed Quebec City they really spent a lot of time and, and for an artillery barrage it was possibly one of the greatest barrages of a city ever in British history and they really really went to town on Quebec there were even some paintings and drawings done of Quebec sort of during the during the bombardment and you know on them you can see that there's not a single house that hasn't been hit there's not a single church that hasn't been hit Quebec was just a pile of rubble once the British had finished their artillery campaign the issue that you can see from this is realistically the British weren't actually attacking the French soldiers they were attacking the French civilians um, you know they were destroying people's homes destroying people's shops their livelihoods um, they weren't actually taking the battle to the French they were you know they were firing from a distance and you know it, it didn't really benefit them it didn't benefit the English in any way because the French weren't going to give up their capital city in in Canada they weren't going to give this this city up and all it did really was make the local population hate the English even more and probably force some of the general population who probably aren't part of the army or wouldn't want to you know be part of the fighting 
probably gave them that spur to pick up arms and fight the British themselves. So, it, you know, realistically, I don't think it actually benefited the English in any way to bombard the city the way they did. With this artillery bombardment obviously failing, really, you know, there was no white flag flown above Quebec, they had to uh, change tactics and... It was getting late. It was getting towards uh, towards the end of the year. Um, it was getting towards winter, and you know it, the British were pressed for time. If they waited too long, um, the Saint Lawrence, most of it gets at uh, this time would have would have frozen. Um, it would have been virtually impossible. There'd have been icebergs. Been virtually impossible to get the ships any closer. Um, it would have been too cold, and they were probably running out of supplies as well. So. Wolf makes a decision to attack the French on the opposite side of the waterfall to where their camp is. Now, the problem you have with this is when the British came off the the boats, the ground was very boggy, very muddy, um, as it would be. It wasn't a beach; it was almost like um, like like a bog. Uh, trying to get the the English off the boats and you know charge at the French wasn't uh, wasn't an easy task. They were under constant bombardment from the French. At the top of the hill, there was French artillery just constantly firing on the British, um, and it it was a, you know it was a disaster. The one thing we can say about General Wolfe was he was a fighter. He may not have looked like a fighter. <laughs> failing that he certainly didn't look like a fighter but he was right in the middle of it he was there with his men the whole time um he was actually hit by a splinter off the boat one of the boats um he had his cane knocked out of his hand by by gunshots um you know he was right in the thick of it so at least the general was was there on the battlefield during this uh, this huge embarrassment for the english army the british way of fighting it at this time was rows of men uh, normally it would be two lines sometimes just one line side to side shoulder by shoulder so they could utilize the full power of the muskets everybody could fire their muskets at the same time and cause real damage and it was the unity of british soldiers that made them so so difficult to to fight against you know a lot of the time like i said they had two lines sometimes one standing up one kneeling down and you they all worked in unison everybody fired at the same time and there was you know people other armies weren't that disciplined and they didn't have that ability to break down that british line now the french must have you know probably couldn't believe their eyes must have been whooping at everything when they saw the british come off these boats because the british did not fall into their normal battle formation um these they played the the march of the grenadier guards for those of you who don't know that is the theme tune to this podcast that was blared out on the bugle and on the trumpets and the grenadier guards legged it <laughs> they didn't they didn't uh, form into lines. They just charged at the enemy. And very stupidly, the French basically saw their opportunity, saw them sitting ducks and bang, 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 popped them off one by one. 
um, when obviously the English realised that this battle they weren't going to win and they retreated um, they would turn they would turn around once they got onto the boats and see all the dead and wounded on the floor and they would see the French and the Native Americans come out of their trenches and mutilate the bodies of the dead and the wounded now that's obviously you know quite a shocking thing to to witness and it probably probably put put them a little bit bit scared the english i would have thought uh watching that and i think psychologically that may have had an effect on them but like i said they definitely retreated from that battle um with their tails between their legs so things are looking quite bad for the english they certainly get a little bit worse uh, when General Wolf fill, falls ill. Um, he gets very, very sick, and they do believe that uh, he may not recover and he may may die, um, which obviously is, you know, to an extent, I think some of the English officers were probably quite happy. Maybe not that he would die, but that he may not be part of the campaign because you know he's had two tactics bomb the city hasn't worked and send the men onto the beaches and that hasn't worked either so his tactics are not working and i don't think that they would have been too disheartened if they could just turn around and go home and you know that obviously doesn't happen he does recover um whilst he's actually recovering he does there is a famous letter that he writes uh, to his mother um, where he basically just says there, there is nothing to, to say. We're just basically we keep losing. We, we keep getting defeated. And that's, you know, that's that's all I have to report. Um, and then he also mentions at the end of his letter that he wants to quit the army as soon as he can, basically. So as soon as this campaign is over, um, he no longer wants to be part of the armed services. So. It's uh, quite a sad letter, I think, when you you think of the outcome of of his life and the fact that he died a bit of a martyr at the Battle of Quebec and, you know, potentially, if he'd have survived, he'd have been able to quit a hero and that that didn't happen for him. So so whilst Wolf was recovering, his generals and his officers came up with a new plan and their plan was to attack Quebec from the west hand side of the city not the east where they'd been constantly attacking now the only problem with that is they would have to sail their ships straight past the city to the other side and they would have to bypass the large and i mean incredibly large french defenses on the city and on the city walls so the only way they could do that was to basically to wait for the sun to set to do it in the cover of darkness and to really really pick up a lot of speed so the weather had to be perfect for these ships to have the right speed to get straight past the city Uh, when james wolf recovered um, he didn't really have a choice he had to go along with this plan because they pretty much put the plan into motion by the time he was better but he did he did go along with it and uh, they managed to to shoot the narrows in, in quebec and get to the other side and this is where um, a lot of people may have heard of this battle as the P- Battle of the Plains of Abraham. Now, you can call it that, or you can call it the Battle of Quebec. 
doesn't really matter. Same as uh, you have the Battle of Bull Run and the Battle of Manassas. So it's the same battle, it's just a different name. So it's um, it's that's that's what that is. So if you've heard of the Battle of the Plains of Abraham, but you've never heard of the Battle of Quebec, there you go. It is the same part, same battle. So what they planned on doing was landing on the Plains of Abraham and climbing up the steep banks to the west of Quebec. So when they they managed, like I said, obviously they managed to get the ships across, um, and they started to land troops on this side. Now the British troops had to climb up a very very steep hill with no track. There was no path for them to climb up. They literally had to put their guns on their shoulders and climb up a very muddy, wet embankment, very very steep, grabbing hold of roots and trees and literally climbing for their life. And by the time they got to the top, they were absolutely exhausted. And this is where the British, it symbolized, this this battle symbolized a lot for the British. Because the British, now, even now, we see ourselves as quite, you know, superior um, to to many people. <laughs> it sounds, makes me sound like a right idiot. but But we do, you know, we do see ourselves as... Um, very gritty, very determined, uh, stiff upper lip, and you know, keep calm and carry on, and we just, just carry on. You know, that sod it, we'll just keep going. Um, you know, even, even when you you look at the, the uh, the American Revolution, um, the British still came back in 1812 and burnt your White House to the ground. So, you know, they, they, um, we don't give up, and we, they didn't give up, and this, this definitely had something to do with it and they they uh this is why it used to be such a big story in british history but like i said it's not so much now um but it did symbolize quite a lot for the british to actually get to the top of this hill and to get their army up there when the british got to the top they stumbled upon a french camp a french camp that wasn't aware that they were there and as soon as the british got to the top of the hill Bearing in mind this is night time, the French were not wep they had they didn't have their weapons, they weren't ready for a fight, and they turned around and saw thousands of British troops stood there with their guns out and they went, No sod that we're we're going. And they legged it. They ran they ran back to Quebec. What that did was that left the entire path from the plains of Abraham um all the way to Quebec City. The British had no one stopping them now all the way to the walls. And they even managed to drag up, up the hill, two cannons. Now, I don't know how many of you know how heavy a cannon is, but they're fucking heavy. And not only are they heavy, cannonballs are heavy. And they had to drag up cannon, cannonballs, gunpowder... They had to drag everything up this massive hill that they could barely get up themselves, but they still managed to do it. So now the English are within touching distance of Quebec. And on the 14th of September, in early morning, the French are left with two options. They can either stay there and allow the British to siege the city. If the British siege the city and they dig in uh, defensive grounds and things like that around the city realistically the city will fall it might take a few weeks it might take a few months but it will fall 
Um, you know, they, they don't have the resources to, to keep that going. And he also knows, the French commander also knows that the British have just climbed up a massive hill. They are probably tired, a bit weary, and probably aren't really in the mood for a fight first thing in the morning. So what he does is he orders the French troops to leave the city and to attack the British on the Plains of Abraham. And that is where the Battle of Quebec starts, really. Now the English were able to put what they had in practice, you know, what they failed to do at the first landing, they they were able to do at this battle. They set up their formation, two lines, one standing, one kneeling. They had the cannons at the ready. They were ready. This line stretched for half a mile. This is how many men the British had that had managed to climb this hill. They had half a mile, three feet between each man, all stood up in a line, two lines, ready, stood there waiting for the French. Now, the British, well-drilled, stood there and waited. And the French didn't. They charged at the British, very much like the British had on the on the shores earlier in the month, um, and they had a rabble, basically. They were a complete rabble. They, they just ran at the English. And the English used their cannons. They turned, uh, used canisters, which were, uh, if you don't know, canister is um, essentially like a box that is put into the cannon. And the box contains around 400, three to 400 musket balls. When fired, these musket balls basically explode like a big shotgun and just just tear massive holes i mean if if every single one of those musket balls hit home you'd only need maybe five or six cannons to to take out an entire army they they really were dangerous dangerous weapons so obviously the french are now being cut down by these cannonballs and they're returning fire as they're running and obviously with these muskets in this time period um, they take a long time to reload, but they'd not stop running while they're reloading, and there's a lot going on there. They're firing as they're running, and the British had just stood there. They did not move. They stood dead still, and they loaded, and they waited, and they waited until the right opportunity to unload their weapons. And, you know, they waited until they could see the whites of the eyes of the enemy. So, you know, you're only talking maybe... 20 30 meters away and bang and like i said with the english everything was in unison so as soon as the first line fired you're talking five six hundred bullets at once just hit and most of them hit home um you know this then they would reload and do it again and again and, and the french just didn't they did not have the ability to deal with the power and how well drilled the English were. That first musket volley by the English that tore the French apart and it actually stopped their advance uh, it's, you know the French noticing literally everybody just falling down. They 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 really didn't know what to do their, their soldiers had gone, their generals had gone, their officers had gone and there was a real panic amongst the French as to what to do and 20 seconds later the British had reloaded and they fired again 
20 seconds later, the British had reloaded and they fired again. And for about five minutes, the British were just reloading and firing. And there was nothing that the French could do. They they were completely in disarray. They had no idea what was going on. They didn't know who was alive, who was dead. Because they weren't in a uniformed line, the amount of smoke from these muskets, they couldn't see a thing. The British didn't really need to aim because, like I said, they were in a straight line. All they had to do was aim straight. They were probably going to hit someone or something, um, or at least one of them would. If everybody aims straight and these bullets are coming through at sort of two or three foot apart the entire journey, they're more than likely going to hit someone. And, you know, we all know how devastating a musket wound is. And, you know, like I said, the French just, they just didn't, they didn't comprehend any of it they they couldn't fight back so the french they fled they retreated they gave up and the british won uh, you know they won the battle this was months of preparation uh, weeks of no fighting uh, you know moving an entire city thousands of miles just to manage to get the soldiers onto the battlefield and the battle lasted around 30 minutes you know the english just just wiped them out and in the carnage, like I said, General James Wolfe, um, he, he died. He was shot in the chest by a mus- uh, musket ball, um, and, and he died on the 13th of September. He died in that battle. So, you know, he he didn't live long enough to see the praise of, of it, but uh, he was, you know, like I said, he was in the thick of the fighting, and although he didn't look like a fighter, he was definitely there. And... Uh, you know the painting, for example, which I'll just just to quick go into. If you haven't seen it, um, get on the Facebook group and have a look. It's this week in history on Facebook, you'll you'll find the painting on there. But the painting depicts uh, it's very patriotic. It depicts him dying, uh, laying down, being sort of cuddled and held onto by his his officers, and the Union Jack is draped over his shoulder. Um, and even in the the foreground of the picture, there's a Native American looking on um, in sort of like um, almost in awe of him and you know, how amazing this general is. Um, that's not the case, obviously. The chances of him dying like that certainly wasn't any um, Native Americans there. And if they were there, they certainly weren't fighting for the English. Um, so it was a bit of a... A propaganda tool that that painting it certainly was it it's not a true depiction of his death but um it does definitely portray that the british officer um should be and was in the thick of the battle so england had their victory in quebec now the french left the city and the english took it and the problem with with Quebec in the winter is it's very 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 cold. The English, as much as it is cold in England, it's certainly not minus thirty, minus twenty five, thirty degrees. So, um, you know, we we don't deal with that sort of temperature very well. And not only do we not deal with that temperature sort of well, we certainly don't deal with it when we're going into a city that we have destroyed a few weeks before. So, you know, they uh, <laughs> there was no shelter for the English. Their river had frozen. There was no way of getting supplies in there. And 
the most of the English, you know, they died over that winter. Um, the the ground was too hard for them to to uh, to bury the dead. Um, they just piled them outside the city. You know, it really the weather was was more dangerous than the French, which uh, probably something that's very true. You may wonder why Quebec is still French, so they still speak French in Quebec and in in parts of Canada. And I'll tell you why, and this is why people don't like the English, but the reason they speak French in Canada is because we let them. And I know that sounds really cocky and really big-headed, but it's true. Canada was part of the English Empire, it was part of the British Empire, and it's this battle basically cemented the victory of the Seven Years' War. When the French succeeded, succeeded, sorry, the Seven Years' War, they lost, and they surrendered, and they gave up the rights to New France, which is basically, at this time, was all of America and all of Canada. So, Canada was English. It was part of the British Crown, and it was part of the British Colonies. It is still part of the British Colonies, um same as australia and things like that not that they you know they they answer to us because they don't um you know they're their own country their own independence now but they are still aligned with our queen but the reason that canada or parts of canada still speak french is because the english allowed them to still speak french they allowed them to keep some of their french traditions because you know you you can't if you take over somewhere, it, you know, you, you're going to be fighting a battle forever if you try and change everything in that city. And, and the English the English weren't bothered, really. Once they'd won the Seven Years' War, I don't think they really cared that a few people in Canada spoke French because they were still part of the British Empire. So they really weren't that fussed. And like I said, when the English won the Seven Years' War, uh, the French, you know, they... They gave up. They gave everything to the English uh, in in America, or in the Americas, as it was known, and possibly paved one of the reasons why the French bankrolled the rebels in uh, the American Revolution, because one of the reasons the American Revolution actually managed to beat the English was due to the fact that the French paid for pretty much everything for them because the french don't like us um and had the french not done that i don't see how the uh the americans would have would have actually managed to to succeed and that's uh, again that's not um i will be doing an episode on this and you, you will understand my thinking as to why i believe this uh, it's not i don't believe now in 2020 that you would still be part of the British Empire. I don't think that is correct because uh, we don't really have an empire anymore. Most of it's been given back. But I do believe um, that 1776 possibly wouldn't have been the year that uh, America signed that Declaration of Independence. I think it may have been quite a lot later had the French not bankrolled the war. Um, but, you know, I sound like a, a really bitter Englishman now, I'm not really that bothered, I'm quite happy in my country, but I'm just saying, um, you know, that's that's my opinion, <laughs> and uh, 
like I said, when I do that episode, I will do it. I will do it. I, I keep saying I'll do it. It's uh, it's just a very difficult one. It's a very long one, and, and it does take a lot of research. But I will do the American uh, War of Independence from the British perspective, and maybe you'll you'll understand my point of view. Maybe you'll still think I'm just a a limey whatever. I can't even think of the next word, but. I, I don't I and that's another one. If anyone on in America, any of you guys, just let me know. What is a limey? I've never heard of that before. I know it's something the Americans call us. Um I don't get it. Never understood it. Um and yeah, someone please tell me what it means. Um but yeah, so that is the Battle of Quebec or the Battle of the Plains of Abraham, and that was General James Wolfe and his uh victory. So let me know what you thought. Uh, I hope people did did enjoy this episode. Like I said, it is something a little bit different, something we don't really cover. I like to cover some things that uh, you know cover a little bit of different different countries' history. Um, so we've covered a bit of Canadian history now. And a few weeks ago, we covered a bit of Australian history. Um, again, another country that that didn't like the English, um, especially when it comes to cricket. So. You know there is quite a we're not we're not a very popular country to be perfectly honest but um yeah let me know what you guys thought and uh hopefully you can uh, you can win next week when we do the 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 quiz again uh I, I haven't decided yet what I'm going to do but I will be putting a picture up uh later this week to find out what we're going to be covering for next week's episode so if you're not on our Facebook group, I say it every week, get yourself on our Facebook group. Uh, it's just This Week in History on Facebook. You'll find us. It's the same logo as what's on on your, your podcast. Uh, just just join the group. I'll accept you. Um, the, uh, I've only ever declined a couple of people, and they're people that have like 20,000, 30,000 groups that they're part of because they're normally spammers. Um, those type of peoples won't won't get accepted um, but majority of people like I said they will always be accepted and, and will always be part of my history community so um, yeah get yourselves on Facebook drop us a message if there's anything you want to hear let me know because um, I can always do that for you we do do requests I have done a few requests um, so you know keep an ear out if there is something you want to listen to particularly or something you're not sure about and can't be bothered to research yourself or something you're doing for school or college or anything like that university that you want to have um you know a little bit more information on um by all means drop me a message like i said get on the facebook group drop me a message and i shall do that for you so thank you for listening guys and just remember we all have history make yours great bye bye Bundling home and car insurance with GEICO is so easy, your neighbors are probably already doing it. But who? They may drop little hints like... Beautiful day out. Even more beautiful since we saved by bundling our home and car insurance with GEICO. Or... Yard work is hard. Much harder than bundling with GEICO, which was easy. Or it may be even subtler, like... Speaking of burgers, we bundled our home and car insurance with GEICO and saved a bunch of money. Bundling is easy with GEICO. Just ask your neighbors.